Howdy folks, this is Tom Barbelay here. This is going to be a simulcast, if ever there were a simulcast. So, my rules are better, and what's the other one called? Short funk, long funk? <laughs> Model Rail Radio? No. It's going to be a simulcast between my rules are better and long funk. And I'm going to try and explain with a certain degree of candor exactly what's happened over the past four or so weeks. We need to probably take a step back to Tom of, well, really since birth. And what I... Never really asserted until I was in my 20s was that my father was British, therefore I was British. So I got classified in terminology which is called British by descent. Now, ironically, I always thought this was just British and the only people that ever called this out looked to me to be a bit curious and a bit racist. Anyway, the legislation was passed this way in 1981, which means that there was a conversation held in England in 1981, which a manager of mine in the UK, occasionally would kind of come out in a song dance saying, you're not really British, your father's not really British. Well, my father is, but anyway. The whole thing to me, I thought that my children could be British as well. Now, there's a whole lot of stuff you need to unpack about that, but anyway. So my children were born, uh, and then I thought, okay, well, I should get passports for them because that's the kind of thing that parents do, particularly parents that travel periodically. So I applied for passports for my eldest daughter because I couldn't do two of them together because the English system or the British system or the UK system for applying for passports doesn't allow for twins currently. You have to do it electronically. I sent my passport and my eldest daughter's birth certificate out and the United States Postal Service or the Royal Mail or someone sent the passport and the birth certificate to Ireland. And thankfully, I was able to file a complaint and I was able to get the passport and the birth certificate sent to Durham in England. So the passport office got my passport and my eldest daughter's birth certificate. And because my wife didn't want to hear anything about this, I didn't tell her about this process. So I just lived through that, which was a series of waking up in the morning trying to actually look, I'm hip to the game of the postal system. You'll get this through my rules better. So I actually didn't look at this thing for a month and waited, and then realized it was an island, and then filed a complaint, and then they delivered it to Durham. This whole process in total was from, like, May through to, I don't know, sometime August. Let's say mid-August. It was really probably early August. So anyway, I got the results back from the passport office. They were sending my passport and my eldest daughter's birth certificate. And that my eldest daughter, and subsequently also my youngest daughter, could not be English because I was English by descent, but the way it was written was very curious. Now, I had talked to my brother, and my brother had explained this to me a little bit earlier, but because this was associated with some bizarro manager dude that I'd had in England and a few isolated experiences, it didn't really strike me too profoundly when my brother mentioned it. I just thought, oh, yeah, he's racism, what have you. Then I came to the realisation that if my children were to be British, we'd have to move back to England but also for most of my life, I've leaned into being British, which is really my rules are better. In fact, it's the majority of the folks that have appeared on my rules are better and the majority of the folks I've played games with relating to my rules are better and the whole thing associated with Games Workshop and meeting Steve Jackson in Livingston was because I fundamentally, even though I was Australian, felt British. But my children don't have that feeling. In fact, if I wanted my children to have that luxury, they should have been born in England which is very strange to say, but anyway. So in order for my children to be British, I need to have them naturalised. And although the letter said that they were going to include information on how to naturalise my children as being British, 
didn't contain that information when it was sent DHL to me. So the person had just forgotten. Did contain, however, my letter stating that the passport and birth certificate had been lost in transit, which was a nice letter to receive again, including my own little augmentation of the letter. So they had that original letter. So I now thankfully have both daughters' original birth certificates, but I also ordered three copies of my eldest's birth certificate, which looks very different than her original birth certificate. But that's $300 and a notary and a bunch of other nonsense in the US. The real difficulty is that I now have all this stuff around me. Like, literally, I'm recording this podcast in a room surrounded by stuff that is associated either with friends that I've had who've been British or, like, I've always leaned into being British and my children can't lean into being British. So, Games Workshop, a whole bunch of stuff. Like, even, like, my original D&D Players Guide, which I found very much the worst for wear, is the TSR UK Players Guide, not the American one. So... That, in and of itself, was described by some people, particularly Americans who I described it to in some length, as an existential crisis. I wouldn't have put it as an existential crisis. My life has been full of existential crises. They haven't really looked like this. This is just stupid bureaucracy. And it also made me realize the number of people that I, like friends, like family members, who have just leaned into me being an all right guy and what have you, as soon as they were told that my children couldn't be British or English or whatever you want to call it, they were just like, oh, yeah, that's right, that law and... 1981. So it was almost like they humoured me for the whole time, which is very bizarre. I mean, I don't want to cognitise too much about it, but certainly with my rules better and, you know, hanging out with Barney Dicker and co, it's very easy to over-cognitise this thing too. So I've started to realise actually that I enjoy, like, things like my obsession with the Second World War, which is fundamentally disturbing on some level, but gives me a, a painting and an oyster fork and a bunch of other things, which are really very bizarre, including how the Hitler Jugend became the Waffen SS. I literally have that document, old book, as it is. So there's a bunch of stuff that I have, which is very, very curious and related to this thought that I thought I was British at some stage. And the whole leaning into my father's side of the family as well, even though my uncle normally works for Prince Charles, or at least the Prince's Trust or whatever that is. He got an award from Prince Charles this year. But he's on my mother's side, not my father's side. So anyway, there's all this stuff associated with being British, which I'm going to have to work out. I mean, as my wife says, it's actually really cool that I know so much stuff about the Second World War. It's actually probably really cool that I know so much eclectic stuff associated with Games Workshop and miniatures. I mean, literally, the lead pile is a realisation of my Britishness in some fundamental sense. So while I am British, my children can't be British unless we go and live in England or... There's some amazing clause in the naturalization that just says if you're having some kind of existential crisis, there's not really an existential crisis about being British, then there we go. So that's that. That's that thing, which I'm going to record in podcast form, as I have, and put out in simulcast form because it's both my rules are better and long funk. Uh, Model Royal Radio, that's another conversation. I'm actually doing an interview for Lionel Strang's Modeler's Life. Those who understand Model Royal Rating podcasts will know exactly what happens there. I also lost a bunch of things last week, or I thought I'd lost, which I've since found. Okay, let's get to the meat of the potatoes of this story. So, um, that was the British thing. Then I was sick. I'm actually still a little bit sick, but I'm not as sick as I was two weeks ago, and I'm not as sick as I was four weeks ago. But anyway, I got sick again. And coming out of the being sick or what have you, uh, I voluntarily took myself to the hospital with my wife's assistance, and then fell over. And that is a very dark chapter in my life. I fell over and I hit my head in the hospital, which you should never do because every part of every hospital is being video camera And my understanding, just listening to the orderlies 
was that it was a particularly impressive fall and I hit my head particularly impressively and literally I was sore for days following, which is ironic because I walk currently and my metabolism is amazing and I don't even bruise, so I couldn't see bruises, but I felt like I'd really injured myself. So the nature of hospitals in this country, and for people that have never been to the US, it's a liturgist society, so they had to double check that everything was right with my head and what have you and basically it forced me to be in the hospital and I went to the hospital without any electronic devices and what have you because I respect my wife's views that I needed to decompress and whatever because I thought I was just going to be in the hospital literally for 24 hours. Didn't realize I was going to be in the hospital for five days. Anyway, got out of the hospital, five days in the hospital. Wow. Like, wow. Mind blown. To be in a facility, literally trying to get yourself out of a facility, unable to get stuff. Yeah, like that's just a chapter that will probably never be revealed in the podcast ever again. So that was the time in hospital. And I realized while I was away that I really missed programming my open source stuff. So I came back and because I had time off work, because my wife had negotiated with my boss that I get time off work, I went back heavily into programming my open source, uh, which was historically called Noble Ape and now called the APSDK. And obviously London 1940 is a part of that, again, leaning into being British. And, um, so yeah, I spent, uh, like five days heavily working on that. Not really that heavily, but enough to churn a lot of Git repository stuff. So folks that are software related people, you know what I was doing. And over this period of time as well, I had canceled my GitLab subscription, which was like a hundred and I don't know, 180 or $120 a year, which you have to pay up front. And I wasn't particularly wanting to do it because I've already narrated the extent that I go to with regards to these podcasts is getting them out. So that was that. Uh, and I realized through that period of time that actually my open source work uh, predates the business with the comedian and all the other nonsense I've experienced with regards to that. And my hope is that GitLab will recognize my open source work because you can't find it on Google. Like, you know, I've literally been expunged from the internet and for folks that have listened to some of my podcasts and don't really understand what all that stuff's about, just type... Google, sorry, just Google Tom Barbelay, my name, Tom space Barbelay space Noble, N-O-B-L-E A-P-E space, or sorry, N-O-B-L-E space A-P-E, and you get what the comedian did, apart from the remove from Wikipedia and all the other related nonsenses that still all my projects are completely screwy with regards to the, whatever it is, 60 to 80% search algorithm. Let's not even talk about the Electronic Frontiers Foundation here because I dealt with them many years ago. So the thought might be that GitLab, in order perhaps just to get 160 or 180 or $120 out of me, will acknowledge me that I'm an open source developer and I've been developing open source for, I don't know, I, I did the math, maybe 26 years now, and lived quite comfortably based on this development, which I still do. And the fact that I still do that is amazing to a bunch of people. In fact, literally, there are model rail radio participants who periodically say to me, it's amazing that you continue to maintain this open source. And it is amazing to me. But it was very cathartic out of hospital before I went back to work. And then I went back to work and I pasted a few links to a few co-workers, probably about seven people, about stuff that I'd done in the past that I had to give to GitLab to say, hey, I'm an open source developer, including Floss Weekly which was an interview that I did with Leo Laporte about being free and libre open source software, which is what Noble Ape or the APSDK or London 1940 
or simulated ape or ape sim or all the stuff I've worked on for many, many years is all about and being recognized as that thing again, which hasn't happened. I think it's five business days from last Monday is when they kind of come to a judgment. So hopefully early this week. And then I have to talk to work because I have to say, hey, I'm this thing now. And, you know, I'm going to get some publicity. I wrote a short story of some merit over the past well, week before I went back to work as well, which I don't think I can do anything with, which is another story for another podcast, perhaps. I was really starting to question whether or not I continue to do these podcasts, and I was leading into the British situation before I went into hospital. But I think I'm still going to record these podcasts in some format because this podcast is a thing which is unique. And if you'd like to grab this audio, and I'm going to put the audio in some place where... You should be able to click on the link and actually get the audio and send it to other people. I mean, look, the British thing probably makes no sense to anyone. And the hitting your head and working on your open source makes no sense to anyone. But through this thing, I found quite curiously that actually when I was feeling really low and like I was unimportant in any meaningful sense, which is what happens when you're in hospital and you hit your head and you're just trying to piece together some semblance of who you are. I mean, concussion is a really serious thing let's say particularly concussion when you need your head for so many other things so that's been the past four weeks in a nutshell and i think i'm going to continue to record long funk i think i'm going to continue to record my rules better it might be in a slightly different format don't know model rail radio probably going to continue with um i've had some really interesting correspondence with a gentleman called terry terence is an o-scale two rail o-scale modeler who has been a really nice man in my life and I hope to reach out to a few other really nice men who have been really decent to me over, you know, the past 20 odd years. And many of them are British or have been British or, you know, probably are more British than I am currently. So, yeah, what this means for the next 10 to 15 years of barbelling yet to be decided. But it's certainly been an interesting four weeks and I've learned a lot about myself and I've learned a lot about my software and I've learned a lot about what I like being. And being expunged either through a head fall or time in hospital or a comedian who just gets annoyed by the fact that you've run this thing that he doesn't understand for however many years prior to when he started throwing his weight around. All these things are very strange, but it's just the nature of my world. So Tom Barbalay here in Las Vegas, Nevada for one heck of a simulcast signing out.